All right, friends, we worship every day. Say we worship every day. Now, I'm just going to tell you, friends, I'm going to give it to you straight. I'm going to shuck the corn and hand you a cob. Okay, here we go. Okay. <laughs> you want to win at the Christian life? Okay. <laughs> Am I in the right place here? Do you want to win at the Christian life? Are you tired of getting the sap knocked out of you, huh, at the game of life? Yeah. I am. Huh? Huh? Say, I will not be defeated in life. I refuse to be defeated. I'm gonna, this is the key. This is the missing key. Folks like us, we know how to make confessions. We know what to say and what not to say, right? We know what church to go to and what church to avoid, right? <laughs> we know which preachers to turn the station when they come on, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> not heresy hunting here, just saying. There's some people that'll take the word of God out of you so as fast as I can put it in you. Huh? If you're listening to somebody on the radio and they, you can tell it, it just smells like fatalism. It's not faith, it's fatalism. When they start telling you, well, God has a plan. Well, yeah, he does, but getting sick is not God's plan. I said getting sick is not God's plan. I said being broke is not God's plan. There's nobody broke in heaven. Jesus wasn't broke. None of your Bible heroes stayed broke. Some of them started out broke, but God made them rich. If you listen to the wrong preacher, it's fatalism. And how you handle life, you know, just kind of getting the sap knocked out of you over here and getting, you know, kind of punched around, kind of bullied by the devil and bullied by circumstances. And you just kind of hang in there and keep going to church. They call that faith. I don't call that faith. I call that being defeated. Amen. I mean, I played enough ball. I've been in enough street fights that you, you can tell when you're winning and when you're losing. You know what I mean? Uh, come on. Come on. We're supposed to be winning at this. Thanks be unto God who, how often? Always gives us the victory in Christ Jesus. That don't mean that, that and fatalism says, yeah, but even if, you know, everything goes wrong and you lose all your money and all your loved ones die of cancer early, young, then if you just keep going to church and be a good little Christian, then you have the victory. That's not what he's talking about. If you have that kind of attitude in the, in the ball yard, well, you know, I, I, I touched the ball once. No, you got to take it to the hole and put it in the hoop, right? That's how you win the game. Let's be honest about this now. You got to watch out for fatalism. And some Christians, some preachers preach a, a, a brand of fatalism and call it faith. No. That means that there's nothing you can do about it. Faith is, excuse me, fatalism is you can't really do anything about it. It's all been decided for you in advance. Faith says, I'm going to win. Even if it looks like I'm getting killed, I'm going to win. Even if it looks like I'll never get out of this situation, I'm going to win. And I mean in real life, on the street. My bank account is going to have a bunch of zeros. I mean, they're going to have to use, what, six, seven, eight, nine digits in my bank account. Come on. Come on. Praise the Lord. And how do you get there? How do you get there? How do you get there? I'm just telling you, the, the, the missing key is worshiping God. Is worshiping God in the tough times. We have to learn to worship God 
in the tough times. Now, what is worshiping God? Well, it's a lot of things. It's shouting, it's singing, it's praising, it's lifting your hands. Sure it is. But there's more to it than that. I want you to look with me at uh, uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 5 in the New Living Translation. If you could follow along with me here, please. I'm going to move briskly through this chapter. You're going to see something beautiful. This is when Solomon dedicated the temple. Now, if you read the story leading up to chapter 5, it talks about the construction of the, of the temple. Now, the construction of the temple, uh, uh, Solomon's temple, was, uh, I mean, this, this building was not a tremendously large building, but it was probably the most expensive building that was ever built, if you read the story. Tons and tons and tons, thousands of tons of gold were went into the building of this, of this, uh, this temple. It was a magnificent uh, work of art. And on the day that they dedicated Solomon's temple. I'm going to read here. So Solomon finished all his work on the temple of the Lord. Then he brought all the gifts his father had dedicated. And if you read about what David dedicated, it was worth over $6 billion in gold that David dedicated to the Lord. Out of his own private bank account. He brought all the gifts that his father dedicated, the silver, the gold, and the various articles. And he stored them in the treasuries of the temple of God. Solomon then summoned to Jerusalem the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the leaders of the ancestral families of Israel. So number one is uh, assemble. This is how we worship God. So you can see this over and over. You can see this pattern over and over in, um, uh, in, in, the, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. When people got ready to worship God, they assembled. They got together. Now, there's nothing wrong with worshiping God in your private time, and you should. But when we assemble together, you should bring your private worship into a public place with the rest of the body of Christ. So number one is that he called all the elders of Israel together. Next, uh, back to that. Thank you very much. The, the leaders of the, of the tribes, uh, they were to bring the ark of the Lord's covenant to the temple from its location in the city of David, also known as Zion. So all the men of Israel assembled before the king at the annual festival, festival of shelters, which I think uh, the Jewish people called Sukkots. It's uh, the, the feast of, I believe it's booths, is it not? Am I close? All right. Which is held uh, in early autumn. And when all the elders of Israel arrived, the Levites picked up the ark. Now I want you to notice what they did next is they prepared. Number one is assemble. Number two, they made great preparation. All right. That's something that we see here in this house, too. We get together, number one, we assemble, and then number two, we prepare. There's great preparation that goes into every single one of our meetings. And if you will take some time to prepare for Sunday, hmm, take some time. And bring that spirit with you, that spirit of preparation with you. I notice, you know, some of y'all, you know, you get all dressed up. I do, too, you know. I uh, rolled up the cuffs on my jeans here, so... Great preparation goes into it. Uh, there's some physical preparation. And there's also some spiritual preparation that goes into it. Amen. And we're doing both. If you will get prayed up before you come to church. If you will spend some time in worship before you come to church. If you will take your offering and lay hands on it. And I mean uh, uh, put some faith into it. Breathe some faith into it. Breathe some life into it before you come to church. And whether you're in this church or any other church. If you feel pressured at offering time. Keep it. 
you should make up your mind in advance what you want to give. And breathe life into it. And then bring it into the house of God. Number one, assemble. Number two, prepare. We are anticipating the presence of God in worship. This is all part of worship. The assembly is part of worship. The preparation that you do is worship. I mean, when, when you guys set up the wires and the TVs, there's a lot of work goes into this. When we design these banners and things like this, this is all part of worship because it's part of the preparation. When somebody, look at the little uh, marks on the floor they make with tape where everything goes here. That's preparation. That's worship. And you're preparing, you're anticipating the presence of God. Praise the Lord. You don't come to this church because you're anticipating um, an academic thesis. I hope not. I hope not. You don't come to this church because you want to see a rock and roll show. Nothing wrong with good, thumping, loud music. And don't they sound good? Don't they sound good? Don't th I said, don't they sound good? Amen, amen. I mean, there's a lot of preparation goes into this. I said, there's a lot of preparation that goes into this. And all of that preparation is worship. Can you say amen? amen? Getting the ear thing to hang on the side of your head real good. That's part of worship. That's preparation. Amen. <laughs> yes! Glory. Thank you, Jesus. So number one is what? Assemble or get together. Number two is what? Prepare. Let's keep reading, please. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I'm just following you. I need the scripture up there. I, I closed my program. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. She's so kind. Thank you, sister. The priests and the Levites brought up the ark. This is great preparation went into this. Along with the special tent and all the sacred items that had been in it. There before the ark, King Solomon and the entire community of Israel sacrificed so many sheep, goats, and cattle that no one could keep count. I think one of the... Uh, uh, see, this, this story is told in Chronicles. I know it's told in Kings. And uh, it may or may, I think it also may be in Samuel also, that there's three different accounts of the same, uh, the same day. And I think in one of those accounts, he, he says there was like 30,000 of, of the sheep, but I don't think they number the, the, the others. So the, the bottom line is they gave an amazing amazing offering what are they doing they're anticipating the presence of god in worship say that with me anticipating the presence of god in worship when you are making preparation for church you're anticipating the presence of god where is god wow think about it think about it He's in you when you're born again. You have his spirit. Think about the very presence of the living God in you and in me. And he never leaves you. He never forsakes you, even when you don't feel like it. Is Jesus your Lord? Is Jesus your Lord? Then he's in you. He made the universe. He created you. You were in his heart. And in his mind, before the foundation of the world, and he created you, and now if you love him, he's in you. Like he said, if you hear my word and believe in him that sent me, you have eternal life. Eternal life is the indwelling presence of the living God in the heart of the believer. Amen? Amen. Say the indwelling presence 
of the living God in my heart because I'm a believer. So where is God? In me, in me. But there's something special that happens when we get together. When we make preparation and we give. There's the presence of God can fall on a family, on a congregation, on a church service in a special way. And we're going to see that in these verses. But do you see what they did? They, they, <laughs> I love you, Lord. There, that's holding on good. Need some of that gorilla tape, huh? They gave so, where did all these sheep and goats and cattle come from? You got to understand that this was currency of the day. There's men and women that are donating their capital reserves for the dedication of the temple. And if you looked at that from a carnal point of view, you might say, what a waste. Has anybody ever said that to you? You're giving money to that church? What a waste. I've had people tell, tell me that. You, you, why do you give money to preachers? Don't you know you're wasting it? Would you like to, would you like to compare? Would you like to compare? I mean, I, I, don't spend, I don't spend much on doctors. I don't spend much on dentists. I've been to a dentist since I've been saved. I've been saved, what, 31 years? I've been to a dentist probably less than, less than five times. And they go in there and they poke around and they say, get out of here, we can't help you. That, that's, that's, that's favor. Amen, that's favor. I, instead of giving my money to doctors and lawyers and dentists and psychiatrists, huh? I give my money to preachers and to Jesus, amen. And he keeps me out of trouble. Trust me, I know how to get in trouble. But God knows how to get you out and keep you out of trouble. Sometimes people say, are you staying out of trouble? I say, I'm coming out. I'm coming out of trouble. The Bible, the Bible says the righteous shall come out of trouble. It doesn't say you're never going to have any. Huh? Glory, glory. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So number one is what? Assemble. Assemble. Number two is what? Prepare. Prepare. Number three is give. And now listen, we've already taken the offering, right? So I'm not prying on nobody's pocketbook here, right? We've already received the offering. Praise the Lord. And I just bless you if you've ever given a nickel in this church. I bless you with all the love and authority and anointing that's on this ministry. I bless you coming and going. Everything you set your hand to is going to turn out right. I said you should expect to have divine favor. You should expect the power of God everywhere you go because I am believing that for you because you are my partner. I take it very seriously. And, and I know some people, I know some people, listen here, I know some people are like, yeah, but I'm just I'm not able to give like I want to or like I used to. I don't care. I stand with you, even if it's in your heart. The Bible says that it is counted according to what you got, not according to what you don't have. God gives you credit for what you have. God, and God never forgets a seed. Amen. Amen. God never forgets a seed. And neither do I. Neither do I. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. So number one is assemble. This is all anticipating the presence of God in worship. There's something special that happens to a church. You look it up. Watch with me. Track this through the Bible with me. You'll see that this is somewhat of a pattern. When they got together, they made preparation. They did some giving. And then the next one, 
Uh, next verse, please. Then the priest carried the Ark of the Lord's Covenant into the inner sanctuary of the, of the temple, the most holy place, and placed it beneath, beneath the wings of the cherubim. So some people say cherubim. And the cherubim sp spread their wings over the ark, forming a canopy over the ark and its carrying poles. They're making great preparation. It matters how you handle God's things. I said it matters how you handle God's stuff. I said it matters how you handle your business in the, in the kingdom of God. I said, every time you touch a table, or a chair, or a wire, or a computer, or a banner, or a coffee pot, or a child, every time you take your hands and serve the master with them, it matters. I said, it matters. Look at how they handled their business. These poles were so long that their ends could be seen from the holy place, which is in front of the most holy place, but not from the outside, and they're still there to this day. So you see, there was uh, the most holy place where only the high priest went once a year. And outside of that was the holy place. And outside of that was the outer court. Is that correct? All right. So... Access was only granted to the most holy place, to the high priest once a year. Now remember what Jesus said. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach the, the year of Jubilee. Now, if you think about Jubilee in spiritual terms, we owed a debt we could not pay. What happened to that sin debt that we owed? You, there's no record of it in heaven. Do you know that there's no... Listen to me carefully, please. Do you know that there's no record of your sin in heaven? In some churches you go to, they're going to threaten you and scare you. huh? Hold it over your head and tell you, well, if God's watching you, if you mess up, you could lose your salvation, boy. Smoke one cigarette. You know how many cigarettes I smoked after they told me that? <laughs> <Huh>? The law makes your flesh sin more. That's why the law was given. All the thou shalt nots were not given to you to deliver you from sin. The thou shalt nots were given to us to show us how hopelessly spiritually bankrupt we are without a Savior. Because the more I hear, thou shalt not, the more I want to do, thou shalt not. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody know what a cookie jar is? You tell a bunch of five-year-old boys, don't you dare put your hand in that cookie jar. I'm going to leave the room here for 30 seconds. Now, to a five-year-old boy, 30 seconds is virtually eternity, right? And you tell them, do not, under any circumstances... The wrath of God shall abide upon thee, and the fleas of a thousand camels will infest your ancestors, you know, whatever, forever. As soon as you leave, it <laughs> doesn't matter what curses you pronounce on them. doesn't matter if you swear to God you're going to hit them with a belt. Now, girls may be a little bit different, but boys we're talking about, right? 
I tell you, they will be in that cookie jar, Alex. <laughs> is that true or is that not true, Gary? Come on now, let's be honest, fellas. Come on. The thou shalt nots were not given to you to curb sin. The thou shalt nots were given to you to show you that you're a hopeless sinner. You're a hopeless case. Born in sin. Shackled to sin. Breeding sin. Throughout the ages of eternity. But Jesus came and not only forgave your sin, but delivered you from the roots of sin. Delivered you from a sin nature. I feel like preaching just a little bit in here today. Uh, if, if the blood of Jesus does not remove the sin nature, I don't care what the New International Version says in Romans chapter 7. If the blood of Jesus is inadequate to remove the sin nature from your spirit, soul, and body once and for all by one sacrifice, you and I are doomed. Doomed. If the blood of Jesus is inadequate to deliver you from the sin nature, forget the whole thing. Let's go get high. I mean, seriously. That's the problem. The problem is not sin. The problem is the sin nature. Once you're born again, you no longer have a sin nature. Now, <laughs> amen. Now, come on. Now, I could visit Kansas City. But that don't mean I live there. And my advice is, <laughs> is to visit and then get out. Amen? <laughs> if you got to. If you got to visit, you don't want to stay. Nothing wrong with Kansas City. I mean, unless you go to certain parts of town. <laughs> then you better watch yourself. All right, okay. <laughs> That's the same thing with sin. You may visit, but you don't got to stay there. You don't live there. There's nobody that can, the cops cannot drag you back to Kansas City and say, you got to stay here. You visited once, you got to stay. No, that, that, no, you're free. You're free. You're free from a sin nature. Even if you blow it. Even if you blow it, I said. Do Christians ever blow it? Well, I've heard about it a little bit. Don't know too much about it from personal experience, right? Just, yeah. <laughs> Come on. So the poles were so long that their ends could not be seen from the holy place. They're still there to this day. Next verse, please. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Nothing was in the ark except the two stone tablets. You've got to understand, this is hundreds of years later after Moses when Solomon dedicated the temple. There's nothing in the ark except for the two stone, the, not the original, but the second stone tablets. Read the story. He broke the first pair and he went back up on the mountain got a second pair that Moses had placed in it at Mount Sinai where the Lord made a covenant with the people of Israel where they uh, when they left Egypt so number one is assemble right number two is prepare number three is give number four is remember he's remembering what God did that's why they kept the Ark of the Covenant. They're remembering the mighty things that God had done for them. Now, if a church, if a family, if a, if a married couple will remember the great things that God has done for us, something special can happen. If we begin to forget what God has done for us, come on, and begin to become ungrateful for what God has done for us, 
God doesn't leave you, but you don't sense his presence anymore. It is so important to remember what God has done for you. That's why they were given the Ark of the Covenant. And they had the the two-tone tablets, the two stone tablets. All right, next verse, please. And also in there they had uh, the the, uh, Aaron's rod that budded and a golden pot of manna was in that, that ark. Then the priests left the holy place and all the priests who were present had purified themselves. Remember, they made preparation whether or not they were on duty that day. That means even if it wasn't their day, everybody was ready. And that's one thing you might want to remember. That even if your ministry isn't stacking chairs, I think you should stay ready for it. That's just me. I mean, I could stack all these chairs by myself in a few minutes. It wouldn't hurt me a bit. But I might be taking some of your glory. I might be taking your ministry. I might be taking your anointing if I did that. Part of my job is to provide you a place to serve, a safe place, an honorable place to serve God. And the Levites who were musicians, Asaph, Heman, Jeduthun, and all their sons and uh, brothers were dressed in fine linen robes. They're making preparation. They're assembling, right? They, they already did some giving. They were assembled at the east side of the altar playing cymbals, lyres, and harps, guitars, I mean, and bass, and fiddles, and everything. Amen? Cajones, harmonicas, kazoos. They were joined by 120 uh, priests who were playing trumpets. Can you imagine 120 trumpets? One trumpet can, like, pierce your ears in in a room like this. Next, please. The trumpeters and the singers performed together in unison to praise and to give thanks to the Lord, accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, they raised their voice. What did they do? Were, were, they, were they singing, you know, we bring the sacrifice of praise. Now sometimes, you know, some of the, some of the music that we've sung in church over, over the, the years I've been in church, I cannot sing at that level. I, I can't hit those notes, so I just kind of go, I just hum, you know. They're, they're singing too high for me most of the time. But... That wasn't the case today. I'm hitting, hitting most of the notes. Did you hear me? Did it sound like somebody was strangling something up here? Or am I, okay. They made a loud noise praising God. They made a loud noise in praising God. And what are they saying? He is good. His faithful love endures forever. They're remembering the things that God has done. Assemble, prepare, give, and remember. And then that is worship. And you top it all off by raising your voice and lifting up your voice to God. Friend, I cannot do this for you. I mean, we can counsel you. We can salve it over. But unless and until you learn to lift up your voice, and and you don't have to make a fool out of yourself. You can go about quietly during the day and, and just say, Lord, I worship you. Try it right now. Lord, I worship you. I bless you. I love you, Lord. I worship you, Lord. I worship you, Lord. I bless your holy name. When I come in here and pray on Sunday mornings early, that's most of my prayer is I worship you, Lord. I, wor- I don't come in here and beg God for a building. I already have a building. Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, I'm pregnant with a building right now. We're going to bring it to birth. Amen. Amen. I don't come in here and beg God for something I've already got. I've already set my faith on a building. I have a building. I'm calling it in the name of Jesus. You've got to call things that be not as though they were. And then they shall be. But if I'm saying, I wish I had a building, Jesus, give me a building. I'm saying I ain't got one. 
You got to settle it. So when I come in here in the morning, I don't beg God for a bunch of junk. Come on, rich man like me, what am I going to beg God for? Come on, I'm so loaded, I got it going on. I got a family, I got a health, I got good looks. Amen. Praise the Lord. Come on, you got it too. You got so much, you're so wealthy. Amen. Praise the Lord. So thank God for it. Thank God for what you've given me. Thank God I have a clear mind. Thank you, Lord. So they started playing on trumpets and lyres and harps and harmonicas and everything else. They performed together in unison. Thank you for going back. That's where I want to be. Appreciate it. To praise and to give thanks to the Lord, accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, they raised their voices and praised the Lord with these words, He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Say this, stand up with me for just a moment and say this with me. When I, we're going to say, He is good and His faithful love endures forever. You ready? You ready? Take a good deep breath. You ready? A one, a two, and a three. He is good and His faithful love endures forever. Give me two more strong. He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Everybody, real good. He is good. His faithful love endures forever. <laughs> amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Jesus. Next, please. At that moment, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. Friend, we've had church as usual pretty much my whole life. I've heard the stories from the greats of the faith, from the old timers, about how they get the whole congregation worshiping God. Nobody's looking at the clock. Nobody's thinking about their performance. Nobody's worried about their electrical bill. Hang on a second here. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Everybody's worshiping God. And what happens? I've heard them tell it over and over and over again. The cloud comes in. The cloud comes in. I said, we've had church as usual long enough my whole life. I want to see the cloud. I want to see the presence of God in our church services. Assemble. Prepare. Come on. Give. And it's, it, it doesn't have to be money. You could pray for me. I mean, God knows I need it. Amen. That's giving. Right? You could be friendly to somebody. That's giving. Amen. And then remember what God has already done. Instead of thinking about what you don't have, remember what he's already done for you. Can you say amen? amen. And what's going to happen when you lift up your voice and you make the right preparation, your heart is right, and you start lifting up your voice to praise God, I worship you, Lord. I worship you, Jesus. Worship him purposely to bring his presence into this room. If you knew that if you worshipped God enough, the tangible presence of God would fill this room, would you do it? Yeah. I worship you, Lord. I worship you, Jesus. I worship you, Lord. You're so good. Your mercy endures forever. You didn't let me go to hell, Lord. You didn't make me work for my salvation. You gave it to me freely, Lord. I bless you. You've healed me, Lord. You've healed me again and again. You've healed my, my family. You've healed my friends, Lord. Lord, you got me out of trouble, Lord. You got me out of debt, Lord. You gave me a purpose and a plan, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I worship you, Lord. I remember what you've done for me, Lord. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. All right, friends, in the, in the few moments that I have left here, I want to show you a New Testament example in Acts chapter 16. And I'm going to start with uh, verse 6, if we could, please. Acts 16, 6. 
Praise the Lord. Can anybody say the four points I just gave you? Give and remember. Assemble, prepare, give, and remember. Thank you, Lord. I worship you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I worship you, Jesus. Now, this is talking about Paul and Silas. Okay, this is on one of their missionary journeys. Now, when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Now, at that time, Asia was a state or a province uh, in what we would call Asia Minor. I guess it's something like modern-day Turkey, something like this here, right? But the Spirit of God wouldn't allow them to preach the gospel in that part of the country. Why? I don't know. I mean, there's, I'm sure there's, God has his reasons, and we could probably analyze that, but we better keep moving. After they were come to Mysia, they essayed or they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. The Spirit of God said, mm, 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 don't go there. They tried to go here, and he said, mm. they tried to go here, and they said, mm. Now, that, that's just a check. Spirit of God gave them a check. Have you ever said, I'm going to go do this, and the Holy Ghost inside you is saying, oh, no, you ain't. <laughs> and it's not a voice you hear, but something in here says, uh, uh, uh. the Spirit of God is, is not happy with what we're planning to do. He'll let you know. What do you do when you get a check like that? Stop. Stop. What is it, Lord? What is it? Show me. If I got to take a step back, I will. What did I do wrong? What did I say wrong? You know, have I broken the love commandment? What am I doing here? Check me. Show me what it is. Speak to me. All right. Let the Spirit suffer them not. And they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas, or Troy. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And there stood a man of Macedonia. Now, they, they crossed the, uh, I think the Dardanelles is what you call that passage, that waterway passage, um, from Asia to Europe, technically, across the Dardanelles. There stood a man of Macedonia, which is modern-day Greece, and prayed him, saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. So he has a vision, and he sees a man saying, come over here and help us. They tried to go here, no. They tried to go there, no. He says, all right, Lord, what am I supposed to do? i got to check. What am I supposed to do? Wait, and God will give you direction. Amen. Don't get out in front of God. Pastor Mike told me one time, he said, it would be better to be a little bit behind God than to get out in front of them. Hmm? And after they had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Therefore, loosing from Troy, we came that with a straight course to Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis. So uh, each, each day, by ship, they traveled about 50 miles. The first day they landed in Samothracia, and the next day they came to, uh, what was that other town? Neapolis, right? Okay, so now they're technically in Europe. And from there we went to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony, a Roman colony that is. And we were in that city abiding certain days. Next please. And on the Sabbath we went out of the city by a riverside where it seemed like they usually went, folks were out there praying. Why are they out there by the riverbank praying? Why aren't they in the synagogue? Maybe so, maybe so, that could be it. Maybe they just don't fit in with the religious crowd. So they're down by the riverbank, huh? <laughs> at the Global Village Academy. <laughs> and uh, we sat down and talked to some women that were, that were there praying that day. 
You ever notice how it's mainly women? <laughs> Glory. Okay. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God. Say, she worshipped God. She didn't know Jesus. She didn't have what you got. But she went down to the riverbank with the other women and they're praying and they're saying, God, breakthrough, help us, show us, send us somebody. And here's old Paul shows up. Worship God, she heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attend, attended upon the things which were spoken of Paul. That means she gave her, him her undivided attention. She wasn't texting when he was teaching. Next, please. And when she was baptized and her household, she begged us, uh, that's her, uh, her oikos, she was baptized and her oikos, she begged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. Now, if you read the story, who's writing this? Does anybody know who the writer is doing the narrative here? Anybody? Luke. Luke is the narrator. And he says, we. So you had Paul, you had Silas, you had Luke, and if you read uh, up in this chapter a little bit, it looks like they had Timothy with them, and probably some others. Now this lady was a seller of purple. What does that mean? She was loaded, baby. She was, had it going on. She says, hey, y'all, this, this gang of preachers, I'll put you up at my place. Not a problem. Got plenty of room. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so uh, she, she, uh, she says, y'all, come on. Come on, you got to come stay with me. She constrained us. And it came to pass as we went to prayer. Now, now, now what happened was, you see, that uh, uh, they started having prayer meetings at Lydia's house, more than likely. Or down by the riverbank, or both. But they, they, they beat a path to the prayer meetings every day. Say every day. Every day. Right? It came to pass as we went to prayer. So this whole gang, or ecclesia, or mob, which is what the word church came from, <laughs> right? Are going to prayer like a big gang of Christians, like what we got in this room. Uh, a certain damsel or a, a young girl possessed with the spirit of Python met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. Now, I'm just going to spend just one minute here. A Christian that goes to a fortune teller needs to have these snot slapped out of them in Jesus' name. You need to have your head examined. I know a woman that went to a fortune teller. She was a member of a church. And she went in there and they read her fortune crystal ball or some deal like this. I don't care what it is. Tarot, tea leaves, Ouija board. I don't care what it is. There's no, there's, this is zero tolerance for me. Well, I didn't know that. Well, now you do. She went to this fortune teller and they took her in there and she, was, she never spoke another word the rest of her life. She was in a wheelchair. Deaf and dumb the rest of her life. Lost her mind. They wheeled her into church and wheeled her out for the next like 40 years, 50 years of her life. She went to every healing evangelist in America and could not get delivered. So this little girl is a, is a fortune teller. She had a familiar spirit that they could conjure up that could tell you stuff about your family. 
tell you stuff about where you've been, tell you stuff about maybe breakups or marriages or a child that was lost or something like that. You think the devil hadn't been keeping notes on you? Don't be a fool. So the people would pay to get their fortunes told. The same followed Paul and us and cried out saying, These men are servants of the Most High God. But showing to us the way of salvation. Can you imagine every time you come to church there's some crazy, slobbering nut job out here by the front door of the church saying, This is Boost Church and they're the real deal. <laughs> every time. You come to church, there's some nut job out here. Next verse, please. This she did many days. Now, when the Bible says many days, what do you think that means? It might have been a few years. But Paul, being grieved, now is Paul, does he have a short temper? Well, he's probably pretty patient. He's an apostle. Apostles have a lot of patience. So it took him a long time to get grieved. He finally had it up to here with this crazy girl. And with the spirit is what it was. He turned and said to the spirit, I command you right in the street in front of the Lydia's house. I command you in Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. So you could tell. She, there was a change. A total transformation. Have you ever watched that uh, one show, what is it, uh, Intervention? If they could just get the guy in that room with his family and get him to say, okay, I'll take the intervention. You know what I'm talking about? If they can get him to say, I'll take the intervention, you can see a, a change immediately in their demeanor, their appearance, everything. Because that spirit has lost its control. The love of that family broke that spirit. When her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they lost their little business venture here now, didn't they? They caught Paul, they, I mean, they tackled Paul and Silas and dragged them to the marketplace right in front of King Supers. Next, please. And brought them to the magistrates, took them down to the, I guess they took them, right, dragged them right into court, saying, these men are Jews. Now you got to watch these people that are, I know some people, every time you start talking to them, they say, yeah, the Jews got everything screwed up. The Jews are running the banking system. The Jews are control of everything. You got a, you got a anti-Semitic devils what you got. People that are always tripping about the Jews or just pulling the strings in control of everything. That's how Nazi Germany got started. They blame the Jews for everything. And you're seeing this kind of stuff in the media today. There's certain politicians that are always blaming the Jews. What's this movement called? Uh, DBC, whatever it is, where they, they're, they're uh, boycotting anything that comes out of Israel. There's politicians in the U.S. Congress and the House of Representatives that are part of this movement, where they're boycotting Israel. Yeah. Huh? That's the same spirit. That's the Hitler spirit right there. They brought him and said, hey, these Jews are messing up our city. Next verse, please. And they teach customs that are not lawful for us. Oh, they're breaking the law. Now all of a sudden these people are, you know, defenders of the, of the, of the faith, and, right? And they're all about law and order, the rule of law, and all of this nonsense that they don't believe in. Next verse, please. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes. The magistrates tore off Paul and Silas's clothes. Can you imagine if they took your preacher and chained him up? 
huh, in front of Walmart and ripped his clothes off and started beating him with ball bats. And the magistrates rent off their clothes and uh, charging the, da- uh, the jailer to keep them safely. Whoops, I, I, I jumped ahead. And commanded to beat them. Next. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison. They were in the dungeon, made their feet fast in the stocks. You talk about misery. If your feet are chained, you cannot move. What happens after an hour? No toilets. No shower. For days. And at midnight, Paul and Silas griped and complained and sniveled. Silas said, Paul, I don't know what is the matter with you. You had this cockeyed vision. And we got to follow all your dumb visions. Look, at you got me in trouble again. Here's another fine mess you've gotten me into. Is that what Silas said? Well, <clears throat> like Brother Hagin said, if it had been like some of the Christians that, that he knew, that would be about what it was. Huh? They'd start moaning and complaining. Oh God, why'd you let this happen to me? Friend, were they in the will of God? Did God send them there? God sent them to come into Macedonia and help us. Just because you are sent by God, just because you're in the will of God, does not mean you're never going to have any problems. It certainly does not mean you're not going to have any opposition. I mean, if you've got some opposition, it might be a pretty good clue you're in the will of God. Amen? Because the devil don't like what you're doing. And the test is, are you going to quit and shrivel up and dry up and go away and quit and be a sissy? And blame God and turn on your brother and sister. Or are you going to toughen up? And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the whole jail heard it. They weren't just hearing it. They were listening. They were listening with anticipation. They were listening as if something's getting ready to happen. Next verse. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake. I tell you, if the devil's got you cornered, he thinks he's got you cornered, why don't you just start praising God? There's going to be a great earthquake. (laughs) And it's a special kind of earthquake, too. Because nobody got hurt. There was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's handcuffs and stocks came off. Wait a minute. (laughs) Can you imagine an earthquake... That all the prison doors, it opens all the prison doors. Right? Can you imagine an earthquake and all of a sudden you wake up and you have no more mortgage? Huh? Can you imagine an earthquake and you wake up and there's no more PTSD? Praise the Lord. There's no more diabetes. Why don't you start praising God? Say, I worship you, Lord. I worship you, Lord. I bless your holy name. Start singing songs. Singing hymns. There's going to be a great earthquake. You can sing and shout and praise your way through absolutely anything. When a bad report comes, and they're coming. The Bible says in Psalm 112, we're not afraid of bad news. We don't dread bad news. I mean, when bad news comes, that means it's a fight you want, it's a fight you're going to get. Amen. 
I mean, you're, you're, you're looking for a fight. <laughs> you're looking for another opportunity to prove the Word of God is true. You're looking for another opportunity to prove that you could praise your way through the darkness in Jesus' name. Next verse, please. And the keeper of the prison wake, wakes up, man. <laughs> Seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself because, you know, that's his responsibility for prisoners. Supposing that the prisoners had been fled... But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. And he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling, right? The jailer did. Wait a minute. <laughs> Next verse, please. Called for a light, sprang in, came trembling, and fell down before Paul and Silas. Can you imagine? Paul and Silas are still in the same position. In their living quarters, which is about this big and he comes in that dungeon and falls on his face in that filth and says what do I got to do to get what you got yeah. I'll do anything to do anything I got to do to get what you guys got because you guys got something that's real the people around you are they kind of ho-hum with your Christianity oh, you go to what church why don't you go out in your car and praise God to the glory of God falls where you work do it. I've seen it happen many times. Where they're against you one minute, go out to the car, read a couple of scriptures, praise God, and go in there and the glory cloud comes with you. Amen. I, I, I'm, I, there's no exaggeration here. This is what this is about. The glory cloud will come with you. Next verse, please. I'm almost done. Can I finish this chapter? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and adopt our catechism and go to all these groups Get analyzed, get a disc test, huh? 38 week syllabus, foundations class, huh? Growth track. Then we'll kind of wave our hand over you. If you're really nice, we'll put you in a special, super, super duper group of super cool people that. <laughs> no? He says, you believe it, man, you got it. You and your whole house. Say my whole house. My whole house. I said my whole house. That's my whole oikos. That's my family. That's my kinfolks. That's every single one of my blood kinfolks, I said in Jesus' name. Come on, I said every single one of them. In the name of Jesus. Every single one of my blood kinfolks is coming in in the name of Jesus. That's what the Word of God says. You believe it, you say it, praise God, praise the Lord when it looks like it ain't working. They're all acting crazy, Brian. Don't you, you don't know what my people are like. They're just like mine. Mm -hmm. Walk in love, praise God in your private devotions, and that glory cloud will come with you to Thanksgiving dinner. Hallelujah. Next, please. And they spake, oh, I think I missed one, 32. They spoke the word of God uh, unto him and, the, uh, and to all that were in his house. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. He must have lived on site there like the warden of the prison must have lived at the prison because they haven't left the prison yet. His family's there, but he gets them out of the dungeon and brings them into the warden's quarters. He preaches to the whole family. Next verse. And he took them the same hour of the night. The, the jailer washed their stripes and his whole family was baptized that night. Yeah. Why? Because they praise God in a tough place. Next please. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them. They had some victuals. I mean, they had some enchiladas. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Roasted chilies. 
glory, some tortillas, you know, the double tortillas. You've got to double up them corn tortillas when you're doing tacos, man, right? And then the chalupa, to, to, not the chalupa, to chalula, okay? <laughs> He's, and believe it in God with all his house. I like them chalupas, too. <laughs> I only got 940 calories left on my budget today, okay? <laughs> Next, please. <laughs> and when it was day, the magistrates sent the sergeants, so they had a change of heart. Now the, uh, the, the county commissioners uh, sent the cops and say, uh, you know, I think we made a big mistake here, so let these guys out of jail. Next verse, please. And the keeper of the prison said to Paul, uh, they, they sent the, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the magistrate says, you guys can go now. Just go ahead. Just, you're free to go. Free to go. Free to go. Next verse. Paul said, <clears throat> wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm a citizen. Wait a minute. I'm a citizen. You beat me, you punished me with no trial. I did not have my due process. So you've got to stand up for yourself sometimes. You're not called to just let everybody just run over you. we got some stuff confused in the church world a little bit. I don't let people run over me. But I don't fight with people over a traffic spot either. Go ahead, go ahead. You're in a hurry. You're obviously in a hurry. <laughs> oh, oh, you know, the, the Bible says that the, the wicked are out there gathering up spoil for the, for the righteous. Let him go. He works for me. He works for me. Let him go. They beat me with, you punished us with no trial. <clears throat> and now you're going to come and tell us, you know, you're going to sneak us out of here? He says, no. You wanted me to come out of jail? You come fetch me out of here. That's, why, that's the way Paul talked to these people. Next verse, please. And the sergeants told the words to the magistrate. Then they're afraid and they came to appease Paul. Next verse. Uh, please, please. I mean, we're sorry. We blew it. Please don't tell Caesar. They'd be in big trouble for this. This is a violation. Next verse, please. And they went out of the prison. This is the first time they left the prison. And they went into the oikos of Lydia. See, she had church at her house. If you are in, a, in an oikos, it is legitimate. Amen. It's legitimate church. What if they outlawed these public meetings? In China, they've called it the underground church for decades. Because if you had church, they'd kill you. So they had to have it underground. They would, sometimes they would say, you have to pray to see where the next one's going to be. That way you know who the pretenders are. And the Holy Ghost would tell everybody where the next meeting's going to be. And when they had seen the brethren, who's, what brethren, what brethren? Lydia and her whole oikos, it's growing. They comforted them and departed. You may stand up. Praise the Lord. I'm done. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I worship you, Lord. I worship you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I worship you, Jesus. I worship you, Lord. Say, we worship.